outlet for a punishment. Well, here here's the thing though. When when Ohio State and the the uh, Andy Geiger and their head coach, uh, his name is Jim O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they found out the punishment, they they said they were jumping up and down. They were so happy. When when the guilty party is jumping up and down over their sentence, something's wrong. That punishment is not stiff enough. Or you know, come on. I mean, does it show? Does it set an example? Yeah, no kidding. Ohio no State kidding. has gotten oh, away, especially with, with the response. We especially have to pay the, the money, and we have to take away our championship records. Yeah. Oh no! But then you can still you can still get away with it, basically. Ohio State has benefited from cheating more than any university, and they get away with it. That this is why we can hate them, no matter what. Yeah, they have a dirty program that down there. That kind of smells. In Columbus. Like, I, I hate driving through Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> well, no, like I seriously, I think the state of Ohio actually does smell funny. I, I have I'm a not feeling kidding. that I've driven through it. It smells entire thing smells like skunk. I, I have a feeling that North Dakota is going to become the new uh, Ohio in terms of hatred. <laughs> what? I just I have a feeling that it's going to be more boring than going to Ohio. Well, at least Ohio has Cedar Point. Yeah, <laughs> Ohio <laughs> Ohio has some stuff. It's like you can laugh at it. Okay, quickly in the last minute, final four teams. I got Duke. I'm going to take UCLA, even though I hate their players because they're cocky. Um, UConn, and I don't know the other bracket. So Boston College, Villanova. There you go. I'll take Boston College still. Now, my final four teams still alive. LSU, UCLA, UConn, and BC. I'm, I'm going to have to Definitely. agree with you. I, I lost um, my uh, top my top Final Four team, but all the other ones are still in it, so I'm going to put LSU in place of Syracuse. I got nothing. I'm not even going <laughs> to pretend like I care anymore. <laughs> all right. And uh, with that, it's going to wrap things up. Uh, for everybody in the studio, I am Tony Bolton saying good night and go blue. This has been a production of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. And then right back to Madeira. He will beat it to Cogliano. Cogliano, but the shot on, he scores! Andrew Cogliano. Sell by sell through bodies and mind screams of the earth. 
Souls rotten from the orgasm drug. Flesh shuddering from the ovens. Prisoners of the earth, come out. Storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw noon streets, swept by screaming glass blizzards of enemy flak. Shipped lingles, free doorways, cut word lines, photo falling, word falling, breakthrough in gray room. Towers, open fire. Citizen, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Guilt, blast, pound, stab, strap, kill. Pilot K-9, you are cut off. Back. Return to base immediately. Ride, music beam, back to base. Stay out of that time, Flack. All pilots, ride pan pipes back to base. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Ava. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. <laughs> oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. Well, uh, the mic is on, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, Jim Dwyer will be joining us uh, a couple of weeks here. Uh, just a couple of uh, real quick things. Uh, obviously, the Ann Arbor Film Festival is this week, and uh, this is a highly recommended event from yours truly. Um, avant-garde, experimental documentary, experimental animation, you name it, it's... Uh, Wild and wacky and very creative, and uh, is one of those uh, yearly events that makes uh, Ann Arbor so enjoyable to live in. So uh, do attend the film festival at different times this week. And, of course, uh, on Sunday they have the so-called winner's uh, circle. Uh, These tend to be some of the better movies, uh, but each and every showing has got its own uh, treasures. So uh, don't be afraid. Uh, to spend that money over at the Great Michigan Film Festival here in Ann Arbor. Also, uh, I noticed that Frank Rich is uh, giving a talk tonight at uh, the Rackham Amphitheater at, uh, excuse me, uh, 7.30. And uh, Frank Rich is probably my favorite op-ed columnist in America today. Over the years, he's been a cultural art critic. I uh, used to have a column in the uh, art section of the New York Times, but now he's on the uh, Sunday uh, main page, although he's been on a leave of absence uh, uh, working on this book, and apparently he'll uh, be uh, signing books at this event. Um, this is free and open to the public, uh, sponsored by the Department of Communications, and um it's just vaguely entitled uh, Democracy and the Media, 
Art, Culture, and Politics, An Evening with Frank Rich. Uh, he's witty, insightful, and is one of these columnists that's able to pull together a variety of cultural, um, shall we say, uh, clues from all sorts of genres of American uh, media, film, uh, plays, drama, etc., and uh, incorporate it into political commentary that I think is insightful um, and perspicacious, and uh, I'll definitely be attending that. So uh, do check that out. That's at the Rackham Auditorium um, tonight at 7.30, sponsored by the Department of Communications here at the University of Michigan. Anyway, uh, an interesting week in the news, obviously, with the anniversary of the war. I'm not going to uh, get too bogged down on the so-called third-year anniversary because uh, we talk a lot about the war down here. But obviously, um, it's very troubling when uh, on the third week of the anniversary we have this new national intelligence estimate uh, put out by the uh, uh, national security staff in which Iran is identified as the greatest threat to America and uh, this is very troubling indeed. It's interesting that in the 48-page draft entitled The National Security Strategy of the United States, which was released uh, late last week, um, by the way, none of these had been uh, published since September. Um, that was the last one of 2002. And, of course, that's significant because September 2002 is when the Bush administration was uh, conspicuously ratcheting up their um, public uh, selling of the war and, in fact, were able to force a hasty resolution through Congress that, in some level, gave Bush a open blank check for his eventual war in Iraq. We now know from the chronology that Bush had uh, planned the war in Iraq as early as December of 2001. He... Uh, told Tommy Franks to uh, develop a strategy uh, for attacking Iraq. And, in fact, uh, attacking Iraq had been openly discussed in the Bush administration well before 9-11, as previous memoirs have now revealed. So uh, the idea that somehow we were undecided on this issue is, uh, I think, a myth and uh, continues to underscore the... Um, continuing self-deception that the Bush administration is involved in, involving our entire Middle East policy. It's my understanding that today in Cleveland, Bush was asked a question from somebody in the audience about uh, uh, the credibility of uh, the uh, sales job regarding Iraq. A uh, questioner noted that Bush sold the war on three grounds to the public, weapons of mass destruction, the terrorist connections to al-Qaeda, and the outright uh, purchase of nuclear materials from Niger. All of these, of course, have proven to be totally false. And in a new uh, article that appears in the latest edition of Foreign Affairs, Paul Pilar, who worked in the uh, um, national security apparatus of the United States government, he was a high-ranking CIA official, who now uh, makes some observations regarding the intelligence, but uh, it's interesting that he actually claims in the article 
that the policy of war with Iraq was, quote, a desire to shake up the sclerotic power structures of the Middle East and hasten the spread of more liberal economies in the region, um, and that the Bush administration went far past uh, previous uh, uh, policy combinations of weapons inspections and sanctions into this murky realm of preemptive war, which has proven to be so disastrous for the United States. Uh, there are all co- sorts of mainstream assessments going on uh, the, the past several days. And by the way, it was good to see that uh, 1,200 people in Ann Arbor, roughly 1% of the population, showed up at a uh, war protest yesterday on the diagonal march through town, uh, voicing opposition to the war. Obviously, it's fascinating, of course, to uh, realize that in the last presidential election, George Bush did not carry a single precinct in this town. Uh, Even Republican precincts voted against the president uh, for a variety of reasons. And Ralph Nader today on MSNBC, or actually on CNBC, I caught a little segment of uh, Kudlow and Company because they had Cheney... uh, Several former presidential candidates uh, discussing Bush administration policies. Ralph Nader um, made this statement that Bush and Cheney remain psychiatrically challenged uh, because, of course, today and yesterday on the news uh, shows and uh, in this public realm, the Bush administration is continuing to sell this notion that progress is being made and uh, that success is somewhere at the... The light is at the end of the tunnel, to use a phrase from Vietnam. And all of this is uh, real nonsense. Of course, more disturbingly, the concept of preemptive war is alive and well in the Bush administration. And, of course, the usual uh, war salesmen uh, were dragged before the public last week, uh, Rice, Cheney, and Donald Rumsfeld. You big dummy. That's Rumsfeld, who is a big dummy. He's beginning to emerge as this leader of the war in Iraq, uh, a troika, so to speak, in which Cheney, Bush, and Rumsfeld uh, disregarded uh, intelligence information, military advice, political advice, and all sorts of other advice as to why not to go into Iraq. They ignored all of this, and uh, the facts speak for themselves. Um, Today, um, just on the front page of the New York Times, for instance, if I can find the uh, actual uh, data, here it is. Um, This is uh, what's interesting. Um, The article states that, uh, and this is an article by David uh, Sanger and Tom Shanker, uh, the article states that when the war was launched three years ago, the Pentagon expected a short conflict. Its classified plans called for the withdrawal of the majority of American troops by the fall of 2003. Today, there are roughly 133,000 still there. As of Friday, 2,313 American military personnel and Defense Department civilians had died during the Iraq effort. Of that figure, 1811 were killed in action. 502 died in non-hostile events such as accidents which is a startling figure in my book. Um, And the spokesman also cited statistics that uh, 7,900 American military personnel had been wounded so seriously in action in Iraq that they could not return to duty, and that 
9,212 had been wounded in action but were unable to return to duty. But were able to return to duty, excuse me. Uh, And, of course, we've seen the uh, all sorts of problems uh, with the... uh, uh, the, the incredible costs of the uh, the wounded veterans and, of course, the truth of the Bush administration's uh, veterans policy is uh, incredibly disturbing in and of itself. Uh, just a recent letter to the editor that I'll read uh, since it's from a retired Air Force colonel, Richard L. Kloss, on the 3rd of February. He uh, was responding to a column by Paul Krugman of the New York Times. As a disabled veteran, I applaud Paul Krugman. The problem with the VA Health Administration care is not quality of treatment but lack of access. Because of the administration's underfinancing of the system, waiting lines have grown and services have been curtailed. In 2005 alone, 260,000 veterans had been denied care because of the administration policies. Prosthetic research has been cut as the wounded of Iraq return with missing limbs. Mr. Krugman is correct in his analysis as to why this is being done. The administration is, quote, trying to starve the beast of a system that is modern, efficient, and nonprofit in order to protect the interests of its campaign contributors. Is it any wonder that there are more than 50 veterans uh, running as Democrats in 2006? And I was paraphrasing that last paragraph. Um, This is the type of delusion that the Bush administration continues to live in. Another interesting comment or letter that I wanted to read comes from Professor Peter Frost, in which last week, talking about Bush's continuing sales of the war to the public, in which he, quote, uh, we will not lose our nerve, unquote, in Iraq. He writes that President Bush runs into the danger of falling into what Leslie Gelb and Richard K. Betts in their book, The Irony of Vietnam, The System Worked, called the stakes versus leverage problem. Simply put, the moment a president says that the stakes in Vietnam or Iraq are too high for the United States to withdraw, we lose the leverage necessary to make the host government undertake reforms. Hence, we see in Iraq, as in Vietnam, continued squabbling over who should be in the government, serious corruption, police misconduct, and bewildering delays and disasters in the training of local forces. Announcing that the American forces will leave Iraq by a specified date may or may not lessen the insurgency, but I'd be willing to bet, on the other hand, that it would help encourage the anti-insurgent forces to shape up. And, of course, this is one of the new policy strategies uh, being proposed by uh, the mainstream that uh, the United States uh, literally force the uh, our own withdrawal by announcing a date and um, whether this lessens the insurgency or not. Uh, who knows? By the way, Iraq body count on the estimated number of uh, Iraqi deaths due to this war is somewhere between 33,000 and 37,000 Iraqis. These, of course, are based on media reports alone uh, that are in the Iraq uh, newspapers uh, and television and radio, etc., and um, is probably an understatement of the actual casualties. 
Well, if you extrapolate that number onto the American population, Iraq has a population of roughly 25 million, and we, of course, have a population of 300 million. It's amazing to contemplate 12 times those numbers. Uh, We're talking here about 360,000 American deaths. Um, So when uh, protesters carry signs in which Mr. Bush is called the greatest terrorist in in, in the world today, they're not off the mark. Uh, Contrast that to the 2,800 roughly that died in 9-11 and consider for a moment uh, that if uh, the Iraq uh, civilian death toll were um, extrapolated compared to the American population, it would be uh, somewhere between uh, 360,000 and uh, nearly 400,000. That is frightening information and uh, is uh, an example of why the president is simply out to lunch and continues uh, weekly brain damage awards and this continued uh, delusional sales of um, deaths. And by the way, on the issue of whether or not America is safer uh, as a result of this war, another uh, continuing sales point that the administration has been making, uh, particularly in recent weeks, is obviously no progress is being made. In other words, to paraphrase Daniel Shore, mission accomplished has been replaced with progress is being made. Hopefully Mr. Bush can stage another uh, little uh, jet show on an aircraft carrier uh, somewhere in the Persian Gulf uh, with a slogan behind his uh, retinue of, uh, of uh, the stage there, uh, progress is being made. Um, David Cole, um, professor of law at Georgetown University, in an article uh, that appears in the New York Review of Books dated March 9th of 2006, in which he is reviewing a book, The Next Attack, The Failure of the War on Terror and the Strategy for Getting It Right by Daniel Benjamin. Cole, of course, is one of these people that's been working uh, untiringly in opposition and uh, pointing out that the president broke the law regarding the uh, national security policy that Bush adopted shortly after 9-11 of illegal spying on American citizens. Mr. Bush, of course, lied to the American public uh, during the campaign of 2004. I don't have that direct quote in front of me, but I'll bring it in next week uh, because Mr. Bush assured the public that they were uh, obtaining warrants. In fact, they have not been obtaining warrants, and we still don't know the extent of this um, actual spying program. Uh, We need congressional hearings on the matter. And it's interesting to note, by the way, in connection with the impeachment debate, uh, they talked a lot last week about Russ Feingold's censure uh, proposal before the Senate. But from the recent essay by Louis Laffam in the March edition of the Harper's Index, a January Zogby poll showed a majority of Americans, 52 to 43 percent, favoring impeachment of the president if he were found entangled in the coils of illegal surveillance. A resolution to that effect has been carried with uh, rousing applause in city councils across America and co-sponsored by uh, several liberal Democrats, uh, all from the state of Texas. 
California and uh, New York City. And, of course, uh, that's co-sponsored by a John Conyers resolution here, uh, the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. Um, So this is not a minor issue that's not going to go away for the president. But getting back to David Cole's um, analysis of the um, terrorist uh, business and this notion about are we safer, look at some of the data here. For instance, um, how does one measure victory, Cole writes, uh, in the global war on terrorism? In 2004, April, the State Department reported that terrorist incidents throughout the world had dropped in the previous year, a fact that Deputy Secretary Richard Armitage promptly cited as, quote, clear evidence that we are prevailing in the fight, unquote, against terrorism. Two months later, a chagrin Colin Powell acknowledged that the department had miscounted and that, in fact, terrorism worldwide had increased, where the number of initial reports stated the number of injuries resulting from international terrorists uh, had fallen from uh, 2013 and 2002 to 1593 and 2003. The corrected report stated that, in fact, terrorist-related injuries had risen to 3,646. In 2005, the State Department eliminated numbers from the annual terrorist report, terrorism report, saying that they were, quote, too difficult to track accurately. But soon thereafter, a leak suggested that another reason that the omission was found was government analysts had found that terrorist incidents had jumped threefold from 2003, with 651 attacks in 2004, resulting in 1,907 deaths. So much for progress on the global war on terror, Mr. Cole writes. And um, interestingly, by the way, measuring the Internet, uh, and this is another statement that uh, a paragraph that that Cole has in his article, Are We Safer?, uh, in response to the fact that uh, these uh, subway attacks uh, occurred and bus attacks occurred in Madrid, and London in 2003 and 2005, these were not the work of disciplined al-Qaeda agents acting on orders from above, but a small band of young men with little or no connection to al-Qaeda and little or no previous record as terrorists. Benjamin and Simon, the book that he's uh, reviewing, see these attacks as signs of a, quote, new breed of self-starting terrorist cells and argue that the development of such cells has been vastly facilitated by the Internet. In 1998, the report says there were only 12 websites for terrorist groups. In 2005, there were uh, 4,400, and the websites spread both religious doctrine calling for violence and practical instructions on carrying out attacks. The consequences have been dire. According to the RAND Corporation, three-quarters of all suicide bombings since 1968 took place in the four years after 9-11. So much for the uh, progress on the war on terror. Now, one of the other uh, items that I wanted to get to this week uh, was this um, revelation that... uh, the McClatchy um, Corporation is buying up Knight Ritter newspapers and that they are planning on selling a variety of these newspapers because this is a fascinating example of the consolidation of American media. And uh, here in Detroit, of course, uh, the Detroit area, 
Uh, we saw recently that Knight Ritter, uh, just about four or five months ago, sold the Detroit News to the Gannett Corporation that owned the Detroit News, and that the Detroit News was being sold to a private entity. So we can see how Knight Ritter getting out of the newspaper business is a very disturbing development. By the way, this whole thing has been motivated by corporate profits. Um, Apparently, a large group known as Private Capital Management literally forced the sale of this uh, Knight Ritter uh, newspaper chain to McClatchy, which, of course, their strategy is to close papers with union shops and get rid of newspapers in markets that they don't see as growing. So it's no surprise that the um, newspapers up for sale are in Philadelphia, Akron, St. Paul, San Jose, which is strange because that's a growing market. Um, San Jose, by the way, is uh, is in the top ten metropolitan areas in America now. Read that in the census uh, about three weeks ago. And, of course, these newspapers in question are actually some of the best newspapers in America. Uh, the San Jose Mercury News has done all sorts of excellent reporting over the years as has the Miami Herald. It's very interesting that the Miami Herald had uh, a panoply of negative stories about Ronald Reagan's Central American policy during the 1980s. The Akron Beacon Journal, just for the record, is considered the best newspaper in Ohio, um, Even and it's the original night uh, newspaper, is my understanding. It's considered, in journalistically, the best newspaper of quality in the state of Ohio. And it, it, is, up, it is up for sale, um, as, as well as the Philadelphia Inquirer. So this corporate consolidation is a very troubling development. And it underscores um, the disturbing trend in America in which Wall Street corporate profits force these mergers at the, at the expense of information to the public. It's been well noted and frequently noted that newspaper circulation in America in general has declined uh, from its apex in the mid-80s 